the same God yesterday and today and forever. God, we thank you that your, your, your grace and your mercies are new to us each and every day. And God, I, I know there's some people in this room that need you to move in power, just like you moved in power in these stories that we've read about and heard about. God, we need you to move in power now like you did then. And so, God, we, we ask that you do that. God, that there are some people in this room that need you to be provider. Maybe it's financially. Uh, maybe it's providing a friend. Providing a job. God, just like you are provider then, would you be provider now? God, there's people in this room that need healing, that need you to be their healer. Maybe it's physical, emotional. God, would just like you were the healer then, would you be the healer now? Just like you healed then, would you heal now? God, just like you've saved, you've called people to yourself so many times that we've read about in the Bible. God, I know there's some people in this room that need to be called to you, that need to, they need you to be savior for them. So thank you, God, that you're bigger than any circumstance we face, any situation we may go through, any heartbreak that we may experience. And would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear as we press into your word, help us embrace the gospel, not our performance, but the gospel. Give us critical minds to think about what it is that you want to say to us this morning. And we pray these things in your name, Jesus, the unchanging name of Jesus. Amen. We, uh, and we, we started this series, we're looking at this letter that Paul writes to the church in Philippi. Uh, the book of Philippians and our series called True Confidence. And, and when you think about it, I mean, we, we put our confidence in so many different things. I mean, we put our confidence in our jobs or maybe it's an income, maybe it's a title that we have. We put our confidence in our, in our friends. Maybe we put our confidence in our, um, our, 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 our teams that we cheer for, although we saw last week that doesn't really work. Uh, we put confidence in, uh, in so many things, our, our, our youth, our health, um, but when you think about all, every one of those things, those, those, those things are temporary at best. And how can something that's temporary, how can something that's, that's fleeting um, give us any type of confidence, true confidence at all, right? And, and, and so it, it's only through Jesus and a relationship with Jesus that we have um, that, uh, that we can have true confidence because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is unchanging. And so that's what gives us true confidence. And so um, today we're gonna talk about unity. And, and, and when you think about it, and, uh, you know, unity often comes, the greatest sense of unity that we have with other people uh, tend to come out of opposition, okay? If you think back kind of through history, uh, just a short history of our country. I mean, go, go, go back just, you know, uh, 80 years to, to December 7th, 1941. I mean, it, it was the bombing of Pearl Harbor. My grandfather was a Pearl Harbor survivor, so I got to hear all kinds of stories growing up. Uh, but uh, when, after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, this 
um, this, this wave of unity swept across the, the, the country and, and that everyone, I mean, uh, young or old or male or female had this, this sense of what can I do? How, how can, what do I need to sacrifice in order to help our country fight this and win this great war? It was this incredible amount of unity. Um, and then you had the unity coming out of the victory of World War II and, and the greatest generation of all time. And then you, uh, and then, I mean, go back, you know, 23 years ago to, uh, to 9-11. I mean, anybody who's over probably 30, 35 years old can remember where you were when the attack happened. And um, but, but you also remember, we also remember the, uh, the time of unity that came out of that, uh, that swept across, you know, our, our, our country and, um, and probably the, the, the kind of microcosm of unity that we've experienced locally anyway, um, came from the uh, world series win of the Texas Rangers, right? And you say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, Mark. How, how, how's that opposition? Well, hello, 51 seasons prior to. Uh, that's the opposition. Uh, but in, in, in light of how the Cowboys did, and by the way, I received so many text messages uh, about my remote control situation. Because, uh, you know, if you were here last week, I broke the remote control. And, uh, and, then, um, and then I was also told very adamantly, I am not allowed to talk about the Cowboys from the stage during Cowboy season, okay? So I think we all have this defeatist hangover from last year. So let's just kind of, let's get all the feels back and get this unity going back, uh, back to the Texas Ranger win. Let's roll this video. Texas Rangers are one win away from their first world championship. Right, turn that up a little bit, Billy. We need to feel this. In their 63rd season. There we go. Rangers win the World Series. So long to heartbreak. Final World Series for the Texas Rangers, champions in 2023. You know, everybody was wondering what would happen if the Rangers didn't win the World Series. I guess we'll never know. I mean, right? I mean, yes. Oh, yeah, all the feels. Now we're unified. You remember where you were that night? Who you were with? I mean, I, I, I remember the celebration that I had with my friends as we were gathered and watching that game. I mean, there was this, the whole city was unified. I mean, so unified, we canceled school. Like, I always wondered, is that really, you know, does that, is that really a thing? Like, when you win a championship, does school shut down? Obviously, they do, Okay. Uh, and so uh, there was this unification that comes uh, through that. But, but when we think about it, uh, it's opposition that leads to the greatest times of unity. And this morning, Paul talks about that. He talks about the unity that, that comes from opposition. And uh, he gives us three things we need to be unified in. And let me just give you those up front. You can write them down and we'll unpack them as we go along. Uh, but uh, we need to be unified in, in, in conduct, in courage, and comfort. So conduct, courage, and comfort is what Paul tells us that we need to be unified in. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter one. Philippians chapter one, uh, we'll kind of move on finally. been three weeks in chapter one. We'll move on to chapter two. Uh, I wanna encourage you to jot down some notes in these uh, journals that are around. There also has some on the tables 
table here and in the media booth in the back. Uh, but this week, what I want to encourage you to do, I, I, we're going to be in chapter two for the next three weeks. And this week, I want to really encourage you to read Philippians chapter two three times and kind of look for, uh, look for names of God or characteristics of God, look for, uh, look for some promises, look for some commands, and just kind of start making your list of Philippians chapter two and the things that you see and see what God would reveal as he gives you eyes to see and ears to hear and as we uh, move through Philippians chapter two. But, um, but Paul tells us we need to be unified in conduct. So let's look at verse, uh, verse 27 of chapter one. Paul writes this. He says, whatever happens, okay? I mean, that's like this major sweeping intro. Whatever happens. I mean, good, the bad, the ugly. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves, underline conduct, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So Paul says, whatever happens, good, bad, or ugly, um, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now this word conduct, when it's translated, it literally means act as citizens. Act as citizens. And this word citizens, it would have hit a little differently with the church in Philippi that it really hits with us today. Because Philippi, it, uh, it had been uh, conquered by Rome uh, and it had been a Roman fortified, you know, fortified uh, city, you know, Rome had taken it over for about 40 years. And uh, along the way, they were granted Roman citizenship, which was a big deal, okay? Um, and being a Roman citizen gave them the right to vote, okay? Uh, it, uh, it gave them the right to become a, an elected official, gave them the possibility of that. Uh, it gave them the ability to enter into legal binding contracts. You couldn't do that if you weren't a Roman citizen. And it also gave you the right to a fair trial. These were all big deals as Roman citizens. And, and Acts chapter 16 is where the church in Philippi got its start. We've talked about that, referenced that the last couple of weeks. But uh, let's kind of go back there for a moment. Um, Paul and Silas, they're out preaching and teaching uh, about the gospel. And this uh, demon-possessed slave girl keeps following around. She has the ability to tell fortunes. And she's following them around and she's shouting all the time. These two men are servants of the Most High God. They're telling you how to be saved. And, and she's just driving Paul and Silas crazy. And Paul gets frustrated and he turns to her one day. And he says, be quiet. And in the name of Jesus, get out of her. And so they bring healing uh, to, this, to this girl, which is good news for the girl, but bad news for her owners who were turning profits off her ability to tell fortunes. And so they get angry at Paul and Silas and they have Paul and Silas beaten, they have them tortured and they have them thrown in prison. Well, the magistrates of the city, they hear about Paul and Silas and what they've been doing and uh, they've decided, hey, we don't want anything to do with Paul and Silas. We don't wanna mess with them. We don't wanna you know, agitate them. So they tell the, uh, the officials, the, the, the jailers, uh, to go and just release Paul and Silas and get them on their way quietly. And this is what Paul says to the officers in, uh, in Acts chapter 16, verse 37. He says, oh, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and threw us in prison. And now they... Now, do they want to get rid of us quietly? Quietly, Not so fast. Let them come themselves and escort us out. 
And the officers reported this to the magistrates. And when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. And uh, when it says they were alarmed, they were scared to death because they had violated the rights of a Roman citizen. And that was a really big deal uh, in this time period. That was something you did not do. And so when Paul says to to the church in Philippi and to, to us, he says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. What he's saying to us is act like citizens of another kingdom. Act like citizens of another kingdom. In other words, he's telling us, hey, uh, we're not just citizens of this world right here, okay? We're citizens of a kingdom, of a higher kingdom, of an eternal kingdom that we belong to heaven. And he's reminding them and he's reminding us, hey, you're citizens, you're, you're, you're on the winning team. You know how this thing ends. You know that Jesus wins in the end, amen? Yeah. the citizens of this kingdom that you're a part of, not because of anything that you've done, but because of your faith in Jesus and what's been done for you. And as members, as citizens of this kingdom, you'll live there forever and ever and ever and ever. So conduct yourselves in that kind of manner. He says, remember, you're citizens of this earth for about that long. And no matter how long you live, it is, a, it is, a, it is about that long in comparison to eternity. That the eternity, we're citizens of heaven forever. And that's what Paul is getting at. So he says, whatever happens, the good, the bad, the ugly, whatever happens, act like citizens of another, of, of, a kingdom, of the kingdom of God. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit striving together for, for the faith of the gospel. So that word striving together, that's a huge word. And this is where we get our unity part from in the text this morning. That this word striving together, it's the Greek word, suna athleo, suna athleo. And uh, there, there's two parts to this Greek word, soon athleo. And the first part is, is soon, it, it, means, it means gathered together, okay? Uh, and the last part of the word is athleo. Anybody wanna guess where we get our English word from? Anyone? It's on the screen. Athlete, okay, right, we know our Greek. Uh, so, uh, so what Paul is saying is that we need to come together, we need to gather together as a team, that Paul is saying that, that Christianity is a team sport, that there's no room for individualism. There's no room to go at it alone. There's no room for isolation in Christianity. Now, now here's the deal. Our faith in Jesus, it's a, it, it's a personal relationship, right? I mean, it, it, it's, it's not your Mama's faith, it's your faith. It's, it's, not your, it's not your grandma's faith, it's your faith. It's personal. It's between you and Jesus and your faith in him that he lived the life that we can't live and died the death that we deserve. And when we put our faith in him, we have forgiveness of sins and we become adopted sons and daughters of the one true king. And we, have, we go from being dead spiritually to being alive spiritually and we, have, and we live as forever as heirs to the throne. Uh, of this kingdom. So it's a personal relationship, right? 
it was never meant to be private. It's personal, not private. And that's what Paul's getting at. Paul's saying we need to gather together and to win at this sport, to win at this life. We need to treat it like an like a athlete, like a team. And we need to band together and lock arms. Okay, we need to band together and lock arms that, so to keep firm in the face of opposition, we need one another, we need to band together and we need to be unified in conduct and have this one mind that we are citizens of a higher kingdom. Now listen, Satan, man, he, he, he has one strategy. And the strategy is to, is to separate us from God or to separate us from each other, okay? To separate us from God through temptation or guilt or shame or condemnation or whatever, and, and, and to separate us from, from each other through jealousy and, and, and uh, dishonesty and, and, and guilt and shame, all that kind of stuff. So that's his, that, that, that's his strategy is to separate us from God and from each other. And, and, and just to be honest, some of us are easy targets we're easy targets because we're not striving together, okay? We're not, we're not bonded together. We're not united together. We're not locking arms together. And we've just decided, hey, you know, I don't need any of my brothers and sisters. I don't need the local. I'm just gonna go at it on my own. But listen, the Bible says that we are all members of one body. Okay, the body is the church and it is the body of Christ and the most complete, the most clear picture that we will ever get on this side of eternity of Jesus is done within the church. See, I, I mean, Sarah and I, we, we are praying for our neighbors and we're intentionally investing in our neighbors and we're having them over for, uh, you know, for dinner and to hang out and we're inviting them and they're gonna see a little bit of Jesus. They're gonna see a lot more in Sarah than in me, um, but they're gonna see a little bit. No, nobody even laughed at that. I mean, I guess you know something that I don't. Uh, I, I, I mean, I guess it's true. They'll see more Jesus in, in Sarah than me. Uh, but uh but they're, they're gonna see the best representation of Jesus when they walk through the doors of a local church. Because Paul goes on to say in other letters that, that when we put our faith in Jesus, that the Holy Spirit equips us with gifts and talents and abilities and backgrounds and interests and, and expertise and experience that, 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 that are to be used to build up the body of Christ and to equip the saints to do the work of this kingdom that we're citizens of, to do the work of the church inside the church. That means setting up and tearing down and, and greeting as people walk through the door and, and, and anchoring kids' hearts to the gospel and flipping pancakes over here for junior high kids and, and, and going to camp and paying for camp and all that kind of stuff. It means doing the work of God inside the church, but also doing the work of God, doing the work of kingdom, as citizens of the kingdom outside of the church in the community. And you guys do that so well. And one, one, one of the things I love is just how dialed in you are to the needs of the people around us. And you bring that to the Together team, the Together Fund. And because of your generosity, we're able to quickly meet those physical needs of people in our community. And, and, and it's the church, it's the 
most beautiful, complete expression of the body of Christ. And Paul says we need to be unified in this mindset that we're citizens of the kingdom. We need to be, we need to be, we need to be unified in, in, in our conduct and strive together in this world. So, so Paul says we need to be unified in conduct, but he also says we need to be unified in courage. So he says, striving together, locking arms, bonded together as one for the faith of the gospel. Verse 28, without being frightened, underline that word, we'll come back to that. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. And this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that, that, set, that salvation and that by God. Okay, that by God. So he says we need to be unified in courage. This word frightened, it's a Greek word that was used to describe a horse that wasn't fit for battle. Because there were some horses that just weren't fit for battle, even though they had the, the blinders on. When they would see the opposition, they would become skittish, they'd become frightened, they'd become unpredictable, they'd become uncontrollable. And so they were unfit for, for battle. They were unfit to be used in that way. And so Paul is saying that we don't need to be frightened. We, 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 we need to live as citizens of a, of a greater kingdom, of a higher kingdom, a forever kingdom. And by the way, hello, we know that who wins in the end. And we don't need to be frightened because God is on our side. And that should produce courage in us. Now, listen, there are going to be times that we're going to face impossible circumstances in difficult situations. There's gonna be scary things that you and I are gonna face. And in that moment, we need to lock arms. We need to be bonded together with our brothers and sisters. And we need to know that, hey, we're citizens of a higher kingdom. And we know, hello, who wins. And so you may not have the courage, but you're a locked arm with me. And you're locked arm with your brother or your sister over there. And we're gonna march forward to this big, scary giant or whatever it is you're facing with a few stones and, and a slingshot. And we're going to face this giant together because God fights for us. Let's say that together. God fights for us. <sighs> Guys, that's not going to inspire courage in anybody. I just got, I got to be honest with you. I mean, if one of your brothers or sisters came to you and said, man, I'm having a hard time right now. I mean, I've got a big doctor's appointment this week or man, I've got the mortgage due and I've been out of a job or man, my kid's out of control or man, I'm really lonely or I'm really depressed and man, I'm a little scared right now. And you were to say to him, hey, God fights for us. That's not doing it for anybody. That's not contagious. That's not unified. Remember, we're citizens of a higher kingdom. We know who wins in the end. And so let's lock arms together and let's move forward and face this giant knowing that God fights for us. Let's say that together. God fights for us. Yes, that's it. Not in the nose, let me just say this. Man, if you ever walk in here and you're like, man, I'm, I'm cooked. This week has just been a terrible week and I don't even know where God is. 
I wanna invite you to come sit on this first row because when you stand in front of this section of young people and they are singing their guts out as loud as they can, it, it breathes faith in me. And it, it, it is, so thank you for leading us. Thank you for singing. Thank you for worshiping and leading us as a church and sitting where you sit. It's a big deal. So there are some seats, I mean, maybe, maybe anytime during worship, you know, you're just like, man, I, I, I just need, I need to be encouraged today. Come sit right here, okay? And just let these, these, these kids just sing faith in you and over you. And so we got a response to a song coming up. And if anybody wants to come sit here during that song, man, this is where the action's happening if you need some courage this morning. But Paul tells us we need, to, we, need to, we need to remind each other, we need to stand firm in the face of opposition together by being unified and encouraged because if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, it might not work out the way we want it to work out, but God will still be for us and he will still be with us. And so will our brothers and sisters. So the last point, and it's really not that we need to be unified in comfort. It's we need to be unified against comfort. That was kind of a no-look pass. I didn't want to telegraph that too soon. But we need to be unified against comfort. Look what, uh, look what Paul says. Verse 29. For it has been granted to you. Underline that. that we'll come back to that. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to what? Suffer. To suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now here that I still have. So let me just ask this question. Where does suffering fit in our practice of faith? Where does suffering fit? I mean, just think about it. As 21st century Western Christians, where does suffering fit? Because, I mean, let's be honest, we love our comfort. We have restaurants serving comfort food, but we love our heat, we love our AC, we love our cozy blankets. We love our hot, you know, our hot coffee. We are addicted to comfort. Comfort is, is the state of physical ease and freedom from pain. That's how it's defined. It's a state of physical ease and freedom from pain. And the Christianity that Jesus preached the Christianity that Paul continues to write about to these first century churches, it is anything but comfortable. It is anything free uh, of, uh, uh, it is anything but the state of physical ease and freedom from pain. And so when Paul writes, granted to you, that, that phrase literally reads as grace to, grace to you to suffer like Jesus. 
When he says, when, when, when he writes, granted to you, he's, he's writing grace to you to suffer like Jesus. Not just believe in Jesus, okay? Not just believe in Jesus, but to suffer like he did. Now, now, how many of us are praying prayers like that? How many of us are saying, are praying, God, will you please help me suffer? Lord, help me suffer like Jesus so I can be more like Jesus. Lord, would you inflict me? Would you inflict my life with pain and suffering so I can be transformed from the inside out to look like and act like and talk like and serve like and love like Jesus? Would you inflict me with suffering so that I would learn what it's like to be more dependent on you instead of more dependent on me? Inflict me so that it's more of Jesus and less of me. Who's praying that prayer? I'm not. You know what prayers I'm praying? I'm praying, Lord, would you please protect me? Would you protect my, my, would you protect Sarah? Would you protect our kids? And if we want to peel back the layers of that prayer, what I'm really praying is, is God, would you make life as comfortable as I want it? God, I don't want any pain. I don't want any stress. I don't want any tension. I want everybody to be happy. I want my kids to be successful and happy. And I don't want any tension with them. I don't want any tension with Sarah. I I, I just want everything to be good. Everything to be roses. I want everything to be comfortable. Those are the prayers that I'm praying. There's no... (laughs) There's very little, not my will, that your will be done. It's my will, okay? My will, I know best. I mean, if, if we're just being honest. And, and most of us, we don't really choose to suffer, right? I mean, if we suffer, it's because it was thrust upon us. If we go through pain or discomfort, it's because it was brought on us. We didn't, we didn't necessarily choose it. But what if we began to choose to suffer? Now, I get it, okay? Acts chapter 17, Paul, he, he, he's talking and he says uh, that the Lord chooses the time and places where men should live. And so we ought to be thanking God that, you know, God, thank you that I live in the time period that I live in and in the place that I live in, that I live in Arlington, Texas, because there are some places in the world where it is illegal to do what we're doing right now. It is illegal in some places in the world where it, that if you are caught as a practicing Christian, that, that you could be imprisoned, you, you, you could be beaten, you could be tortured, your, your, your family could be tortured, that you could lose your job, you could be disowned from your family, you could, uh, uh, you could be cut off from any kind of government service or assistance, you could even be executed and your family could be executed. Acts chapter 17, God chooses the time and places where men should live. So thank you, God, that we're right here. So how do you and I, as 21st century Western Christians, live out this verse? Well, I think what we do is we take steps towards, our, towards uncomfortable. We, we, we take steps to being uh, uncomfortable, and we, and we step through that discomfort at times. And it's going to look different for, for each of us, Right? 
I mean, for, for some of us, maybe it, maybe it looks like, maybe you're part of a volleyball team or soccer team or, or, or football team or whatever, and, and, and you say to your friends, hey, I'm starting a Bible study, and we're gonna meet on Monday mornings before school, or we're gonna be on Monday you know, at, uh, at lunchtime, so bring your lunch and bring the Bible. We're gonna go through Philippians. I got a, I got a source. And nobody may show up, or you may be ridiculed. Who, who will step through that discomfort? Or, or, or maybe it's, uh, you know, in your office, you're, you're gonna be like, hey, I'm, I'm going to just really begin to pray by name and specifically for my coworkers. And so I'm gonna tell them, hey, I'm gonna put an index card on your desk, uh, you know, on the first Monday of the month. And if you want me to be praying, I'm gonna be praying. If you want me to pray about something going down in your life, you can fill that index card and put it on my desk. If you don't wanna do it, that's fine. But I'm gonna be praying. And you pray and you pray and you pray. And then when you go put that ne- the new index card on their desk, you say, hey, you, you asked me to be praying this month about, about, uh, about your grandma or you asked me to pray about this. How's that going? So well, I don't know if I'm I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. Okay, let's step into that then. Maybe it's you've, you've known a friend a long time. You're good buzz at work or at school or whatever, and you know a lot about each other, but you don't really know their their journey towards God, their their spiritual faith journey. And, and maybe you sit down with them and say, Hey, um, you know I we I know a lot, and we're great friends. But man, tell me about your spiritual journey. You know. And you're like, oh man, we don't talk about that stuff. That makes me uncomfortable. Okay, let's step into that discomfort, right? Maybe it, when it comes to giving of our financial resources, you know, the, 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 the New Testament says, doesn't say anything about a percentage, but it says that we ought to give uh, sacrificially, generously, cheerfully, and without any compulsion, meaning there's no guilt and shame involved in that. And so as you look back, you know, as we look back and we, you know, budget our giving, are, are we having to, what, what did our giving cost us? What did we have to sacrifice? And was it comfortable? Was it, did we not have to give up anything? Well, you know, I had to give up, you know, Starbucks once a week and, you know, and, and for some, that's a big sacrifice. So thank you for that. Um, but, uh, but when we really evaluate, did, what did we, sac- well, and did, man, I'm really kind of uncomfortable with that kind of philosophy. Okay, well, let's step into that. So let's embrace being uncomfortable because here's the truth, that there's something about suffering, there's something about being uncomfortable that causes our faith to grow. And Paul says we need to be unified against the pursuit of comfort and support one another in our suffering. And so which means we gotta live out, we gotta live together in community and we gotta be needy out loud, right? And the band's gonna come, they're gonna lead us in a, just in a, in a response song. And again, these, these chairs, I mean, there's nothing magical about these chairs. They're just going, you're just gonna be sung over really loud. But Paul says that we need to be unity in conduct, unity in courage, unity against comfort. And, and listen, all this comes from out of the overflow of a relationship with Jesus. And, and, and the power to live this out comes from when we press into Jesus, when we press into Jesus through daily, you know, through consistent moments in his word. That's why, you know, if you want to read it one time, that's fine. If you want to read it five times, that's fine. Just read Philippians 2 and see what would happen. God's word does not return void. It comes from consistent moments in prayer, not, you know, like my prayers of like, God protect me. It's that God, man, would you, 
Would you increase my faith? Yes, this is what's going down in my life. and This is what I want to happen. But God, not my will, but your will be done. And that's not just because we pray it once. I mean, that takes a process. This all happens too when we gather together in corporate worship and we remind our brothers and sisters, we remind each other who God is and what he's done. And it happens through some gospel-centered community that we can really, that we're sitting, we're sitting in a circle and not in rows and we can be real and say, this is what's going on. And it's in those moments that, that it moves from just, you know, things happen for a reason and it moves into God wastes nothing. It moves into, hey, I don't know, I don't know how God's gonna do it, but I know that God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, that, that, that he's gonna work it out somehow, some way that it's gonna benefit you and others and, and, and it's gonna work for his glory. I said, yeah, I know, but what if it doesn't work out the way I want it to work out? Well, then God, will, he will give you the strength and he'll give you the grace, he'll give you the mercy and he'll give you the brothers and sisters to walk through it no matter what it is. So Paul, he, he writes in Romans, and I just close with this. Romans chapter five, he says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, and justified means that we stand before holy, righteous God just as if we never sinned. And it's not through our behavior or our performance, but through faith in Jesus, that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we don't have to worry any longer. Did I do enough? Because we can't do enough, but Jesus did enough for us that through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. In other words, God did all of this. God did all the saving. He did all the working. He did all the, he did everything. But not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. Poured out, not just, not just a little drip, poured out, saturated in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much. So much for your word. And that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever.